Good evening. I'm Kate France. And I'm Tabby Tyler. Tonight we talk about how much it sucks to be a rock star's girlfriend. So grab a beverage. It's time for a night in. This season's Tashin book is here, and it's coming to a coffee table nowhere near us because we can't afford it. Oh? Linda McCartney's Polaroid Diaries was released, and it documents the home life of the McCartneys, captured with Linda's Polaroid camera. A copy of the book signed by Paul will put you back two grand. I bet it's lovely. (laughs) Honestly, I'm sure it is. Linda was a very talented photographer. Which I didn't realize until I started doing research for this show. No. The price of being the wife of one of the most famous men on the planet is that people just see you as the wife of one of the most famous men on the planet. I mean, Paul literally said that almost every love song he ever wrote was about her. Exactly. It's easy to dismiss Linda as just his muse. But Linda was Linda Eastman before she was Linda McCartney. And Linda Eastman established an incredible career as a photographer in 1966 by shooting the stones for Town & Country magazine. She was one of the leaning photographers contributing to the candid, vibrant style of rock photography we are accustomed to today. She was also the first female photographer to have her work featured on the cover of Rolling Stone with her portrait of Eric Clapton. Ultimately, it was her work that led her to meeting Paul while shooting the Beatles during the Sgt. Pepper's album launch. They fell in love and were married almost two years later in a romance that, for rock and roll, is shockingly pure and sweet. Yeah, she had the ideal rock star life, honestly. She gets married to one of the most influential men on the planet, and then for the next three decades, she devotes herself to her family, vegetarianism, animal rights, and photography. She was in the band Wings with Paul as well, and in 1998, after a really rad life and four kids, she ultimately died of breast cancer. It's sad that she died relatively young, but she seems to have escaped some of the darker fates of rock star relationships. Linda, being a working woman, wife, and mother, is a pretty stark contrast to so many other women who caught the eye of famous musicians. Yeah, usually women who date rock stars then and now deal with rampant drug use, infidelity, children from other women. Honestly, it's pretty dramatic. Concurrent with the rise of rock stars in the 60s and 70s, you have the rise of the groupie. And these girls are so incredibly key because honestly, without them, the legends of the Stones and Zeppelin, Bowie and Dylan wouldn't have had that pop mythology aura. You could think of them as like the courtesans of the Renaissance era. Though they found themselves in the spotlight, their influence was behind closed doors. They nurtured these artists and their music, fulfilled them sexually, and fueled their egos. Groupie queens held court in clubs and venues, some of them having their own followers or starting bands themselves. I mean, think about how many songs were written for groupies. Can We Still Be Friends by Todd Rundgren is assumed to be about B.B. Buell. Angie by The Rolling Stones is about Anita Pallenberg. Where an American Band by Grand Funk Railroad references Connie Hamsey. Sweet Connie. How do you know that? I've read a lot about rock star girlfriends. So tell me some of the stories you've read. Okay, well, let's start with the infamous groupie, Pamela DeBar, who, along with B.B. Buell, was the inspiration for the character Penny Lane from Almost Famous. Pamela loved music and was introduced to Frank Zappa by Captain Beefheart, who also introduced her to the Rolling Stones. She became a groupie queen, 
and knew everyone, dated everyone, and partied with everyone. She had a following in her own right, and also somehow served as the nanny to Frank Zappa's children, Moon Unit and Dweezil. Moon Unit and Dweezil. The man hangs out with someone called Captain Beefheart, and you're somehow surprised about the names (laughs) of his children. Yeah, good point. So, Frank Zappa urged her to keep and polish her diaries she had been keeping since she was in high school. They detailed all the wacky adventures she got up to with the multitudes of rockers she knew. These diaries would ultimately become her memoir, I'm With the Band, one of the most well-loved books on the rock lifestyle of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. In her memoir, she talks about her famous boyfriends like country star Waylon Jennings and rock stars like Keith Moon, whom she would have to calm down when he would wake up after benders calling himself a murderer. Yeah, uh, he accidentally killed his valet with his Bentley. Oh God. Yeah. Most notably, though, she remembers Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin. You're going to notice a theme in my storytelling here because I'm just going to say it. Jimmy Page was a fuckboy blasphemy it's true Mm. so pamela is living the life she's dating jimmy page and he's telling her all about how he's gonna fly her back to england to wake up and see peacocks outside her windows and all kinds of sweet nonsense and unfortunately pamela is super in love with him because it's 1972 and he's in led zeppelin and he's got an english accent (laughs) yes and those dreamy curls Uh i mean he's he's jimmy page Mm. except jimmy is about to break her heart in a big way when he leaves her for Lori Maddox. And brief aside, Mick Jacker absolutely knew Jimmy Page was a fuckboy because Mick actually convinced Pamela to have sex with him on his living room floor by telling her all the messed up stuff Jimmy did on tour. Wow, what a pickup. Your boyfriend sucks. Good thing I'm here to tell you about it and then console you afterwards. (laughs) Right? On my living room floor. (laughs) So in comes Lori Maddox. And Lori is incredibly fascinating to me because Lori is what becomes known as a baby groupie. Baby groupies are girls between the ages of 11 and 15, Mm. 11 and 15, who hung out at the Rainbow Bar and Whiskey A Go-Go. They loved music, loud glam rock, tiny outfits, and of course, rock stars. And the rock stars loved them. Lori is brought into this scene by her friend Sable Star, and both of them start dating rock stars. And and here's the thing. I'm going to use the term dating here because that is the term both women use later as adults. But... I don't quite understand how a 13-year-old girl dates a 26-year-old man and people just don't bat an eye. Anyway, Lori and Sable are dating their way through rock stars. Iggy Pop even talks about sleeping with Sable when she was 13 in the song Look Away. Lori, though, catches the eye of Jimmy Page. Now, depending on which interview you read and when it came out, Lori either just initially turns him down, is terrified of him, or didn't realize he was interested in her. But ultimately, it takes Jimmy having his manager take her to his hotel in an action she once called a kidnapping, wherein he seduces her. And is he still with Pamela during all of this? Yes, though not for long. He would abandon Pamela at a party a week or so later for Lori and not look back. He dated Lori for two more years before dropping her for B.B. Buell. Liv Tyler's mom. Yes. What a tangled web. Right? So he dumps her for B.B. and Lori goes out of her mind on quaaludes. She's 16 on quaaludes. Right? And she attacks B.B. and Jimmy, only for Jimmy to bail and lock himself in his hotel room laughing amongst his friends while the two women go at it in the hallway. What a fuckboy. Such a fuckboy. And it's such stupid drama. Serious drama. 
Also, you have the famous Anita Pallenberg, who we mentioned earlier with the song Angie. She was a model, fashion icon, and actress. Originally, she was with Brian Jones, the original leader of the Stones, but he was extremely abusive and beat her regularly. Anita moved on to be with Keith Richards and had two children with him. She was hailed by some as the reason the Rolling Stones became cultural icons. She contributed to their style and sound and overall image. Keith actually wore her clothes. They were the same size. (laughs) Anita was the party girl. She evidently did more drugs than Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Keith even saying that trying to keep up with her almost killed him. Her struggles with drugs and the lifestyle, however, continued throughout her relationship with Keith. She even had a 17-year-old lover who accidentally died in their home while playing Russian roulette while Keith was away recording in Paris. The relationship ended then, and Anita struggled for decades to overcome drug addiction. She ultimately dabbled with fashion again, but died at the age of 75 from complications from hepatitis C. Honestly, her story was always so tragic to me. She and Keith had a child that died of crib death, and it seems like she was never able to deal with the loss of a child and the responsibilities of motherhood. He did make sure to take care of her, at least, unlike some other women who are intrinsically tied to these artists. For the remainder of her life, he made sure that she did not have to work unless she wanted to. There's also Jerry Hall. Jerry was a small-town girl who became a model, and along with her twin sister, Terry... Jerry and Terry. Oh, oh, oh Yeah. So, Jerry and Terry are models, and they live in a model apartment with, get this, Grace Jones and Jessica Lang. Whoa. Yeah, these girls had been set up to be successful. So, she hits it big after being featured as a mermaid on the cover of a Roxy Music album and begins dating musician Brian Ferry, but leaves him for Mick Jagger. Another stone. Mm Mm-hmm. So between 1977 and 1990, she and Mick have four children. She deals with his career and groupies for decades, only to finally have enough in 1999 when she says she can't take any more of his infidelity and they end their marriage. That's the thing. Mick Jagger has a whole lot of sex. To Mick's credit, though, I can't find any evidence of him with 13-year-old groupies. He's just the father to a whole bunch of children. Yeah, he has eight that he knows of. But evidently, he just makes babies. He doesn't fuck them. (laughs) So Jerry and Mick are kaput. And she has since then married... Dun-dun-dun! Media mogul Rupert Murdoch. Which, like... I don't get it, but okay. She is also campaigning to establish the Equal Rights Amendment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's married to the world's biggest supervillain, Rupert Murdoch, but is somehow trying to be a proponent of equal rights. Yeah, you don't get to marry Lex Luthor and say, yeah, but it's fine because I'm Lois Lane. Yeah, you want to be a Bianca Jagger, not a Jerry Hall. Bianca Jagger, Mick's first wife, currently serves as a Council of European Goodwill Ambassador, is founder and chair of the Bianca Jagger Human Rights Foundation, is a member of the Executive Director's Leadership Council of Amnesty International USA, and is a trustee of the Amazon Charitable Trust. Whoa! Yeah. Go, Bianca Jagger. But you can go one of two ways, apparently. Elegant or hot mess. Remember Sable Star, the baby groupie? She dated, like, everyone, and then ended up taken by Johnny Thunders to New York when she was 16, where he beat her half to death on a regular basis. When she got pregnant, he wanted to marry her, but she refused, thankfully, had an abortion, and then he beat her again. 
She ended up going back to L.A., but because of an affair with Richard Hell and a friendship with Nancy Spungen... Wait, as in Sid and Nancy, Nancy Spungen. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that Nancy. Because of this, she goes back to New York frequently and becomes a huge part of the punk scene there. But by the 80s, she's understandably burned out on all of this and moves to Lake Tahoe, where she was a table game dealer at the Carson Valley Inn until she died of brain cancer at age 51. Uh, and while we're at it, let's go back to Liv Tyler's mom, B.B. Buell, the model Lori Maddox lost her shit on back when Jimmy Page left her. B.B. wanted to be a singer, but was discovered by Eileen Ford, the modeling executive, at age 17 and moved to New York. Then she says, the rock stars came a-hunting. She started a high-profile relationship with Todd Rundgren, but she also has dated Mick Jagger, Iggy Pop, David Bowie, Elvis Costello, Jimmy Page, and Steven Tyler. But for the record, she rejects the label groupie. And Todd Rundgren loving her the way he did and raising Liv as his own was so moving. As we have already said, it doesn't always work out that way for rock star girlfriends or wives. Yeah, like Cynthia Lennon. Girl got done dirty. Yeah. Cynthia was the first wife of John Lennon and mother to his first son, Julian. And God did that woman go through it. She got pregnant, and they married, and she secretly existed as John Lennon's wife because the band's manager, Brian Epstein, thought that their marriage would spoil the band's image. The boys needed to be hot and single. Even in a magazine article listing facts about the Beatles, one of John Lennon's listed hobbies was girls. (laughs) Eventually, word got out that John had a wife and child, and so during the height of Beatlemania, Cynthia had to endure hate mail, physical assault, Invasion of privacy, and literally people trying to steal her clothing every time she went outside of her apartment. No. Mm. They continued to have a tumultuous relationship, John being physically and verbally abusive, John constantly having affairs, John being unrelentingly jealous. Then he met Yoko. After beginning an affair with Yoko, he sued Cynthia for divorce, stating the reason of infidelity on her part. You're kidding. Nope. He did that thing where he was doing all the bad stuff, but then accused Cynthia of doing all the bad stuff. And when it came out shortly afterwards that Yoko was pregnant, Cynthia countersued for divorce. Hell yeah. When John was assassinated, Julian was excluded from the will. He eventually sued his father's estate and received a reasonable settlement. Cynthia spent her entire life inextricably tied to her husband, ex-husband, until she died in Spain in 2015. So the question is, Why do we keep doing this? Why do we seek relationships that are unhealthy in spite of what we know about them? I mean, clearly, these relationships are toxic and harmful, but something about the appeal of the rock god pulls us away from our senses. It's kind of like guitar hypnotism. Like they're the snake in Jungle Book. There is some explanation for all of this, though. Peer-reviewed explanation. I love a good scientific journal. In a 2013 article published in Sage Journals titled Men's Music Ability and Attractiveness to Women in a Real-Life Courtship Context, the researchers found that a man who was holding a guitar case while asking a woman for her phone number was more likely to be given said phone number than a man holding a gym bag or nothing. The implication is that musical ability plays a role in sexual selection. The real question is why? Yeah, because you'd think that a gym bag would imply that someone's physically fit or innately more capable of providing and protecting. Nope. Guitar guy over here. (laughs) It's like how bird songs are clearly used for sexual selection in birds. Right? Because they don't offer any survival benefit. Rock stars are just human peacocks. 
It's also been shown that women prefer men who are able produce able to produce more complex musical sounds as sexual partners. The article Menstrual cycle phase alters women's sexual preference for composers of more complex music <laughs> showed that women were more attracted to men who perform more complicated music when they were ovulating, which could indicate that music plays a role in sexual selection. However, counter, ar- counter article, the article Do Women Prefer More Complex Music Around Ovulation showed that women prefer more complicated music regardless of their menstrual cycle. But in this study, the researchers were not asking women to rate the individual producing the music. Honestly, there has to be some truth to this, because look at these rock stars from the 60s and 70s. They weigh like 100 pounds wet. Right. Many of them are just irreparably ugly. Right. And yet, I'm still into it. Me too. Like, I love a music man. Billy Joel is one of the homeliest men alive, but man, can he write a pop song. There has to be forces at play here that are completely out of our control. Well, there's also something called the halo effect. This is the projection of virtues of one good quality of a person onto other aspects of that person. So, if a person's attractive, they're also probably friendly and hardworking. If a person's good at public speaking, they're also probably good leaders. In regard to rock stars, they're good entertainers, so they're also probably good people with desirable qualities. Mm, Don't do it, girl. It's not worth it. Pamela DeBar said that part of why it's so easy to fall for these guys is the connection you inherently feel to them through their music. But that connection's one-sided, and you also share it with like four billion other women. And the trade-off for that? Ten years of glory to a lifetime of potential illness and mental trauma seems like a bad deal. Even people who quote-unquote get their lives together still seem to live in the shadow of those relationships. Take groupie Cleo Odzer. She got a PhD in anthropology, wrote several books, and seemed to have moved beyond the rock star lifestyle, but then seemed to not have. From 1995 to 1998, she produced several dozen episodes of her show Cleo's Adventures, which played on Manhattan's public access television, and, well, just listen. To promote the album, meanwhile, I was becoming famous all over U.S. and England as being supergroupy Cleo. Shall we listen to some of the groupie album? Alan Lorber, who produced the album, was nice enough to send it to me on a cassette. Because who has record players anymore? I started going down to the village when I was about 14 or 15. I'd go there every single night, and I'd take drugs, every drug. If it was there, I took it. And we'd go to this place called... She's a very educated woman who did not have the self-awareness to recognize that she needed to leave this aspect of her life behind. It also goes to show that, like, you can be really smart at one thing and not at another thing. She died in India at 50. And I guess where we need to go with this is that there's nothing wrong with an unconventional life. There's nothing wrong with living and having experiences that are exciting and avant-garde. But what is wrong is Jimmy fucking Page dating a 13-year-old girl. 13 is too fucking young to be dating a grown-ass man. And it is not the 13-year-old's responsibility to recognize this. You too, Iggy Pop. I want to say, the names of his songs on Spotify, Lust for Life, Real Wild Child, Candy, Candy, Iggy. Just get a van and a trench coat, man. Commit! Mm. Anyway, girls, if he's carrying a guitar case, turn the other way. Walk Away by Franz Ferdinand. These Boots Are Made For Walking by Nancy Sinatra. 50 Ways To Leave Your Lover by Paul Simon. So Shine On You Crazy Diamond by Pink Floyd. And Go Your Own Way by Fleetwood Mac. Man. 
I kind of appreciate the stones more. So, once again, we conclude another episode of A Night In, where we explore the historical context of current events, and what's more current than girls making unwise decisions and dating famous rich guys, but... I mean, we probably could have gone all the way back to, like, Listomania here, when girls lost their shit over, uh, was it Hans Liszt, Franz Liszt? You know, the musical, the, yes, the yes. composer. Oh, God. The whole, the Phoenix song, Listomania, is about that. Yes. But I mean, uh, people it's have lost their minds over musicians forever. Yeah. And they're still doing it today. It's I just know. DJs. Yeah. There that's are another no more episode. rock gods. But that's another. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but do you know what almost all these girls had in common? What's that? They're models. Oh, yeah. Much like Rachel Reed. The host of Model Memoirs. Whose show you should be tuning into every Thursday night. <laughs> a very good plug you fit in there. Thank nice. you. I'm oh, very yeah. proud of that. <laughs> well, actually, uh, yesterday's episode talks about... The party the lifestyle. party lifestyle. And she supports a lot of our arguments here. Mm-hmm. So uh, make sure you tune in. And um, also, our show now comes out... No comes out. Our show now comes out on Friday nights. So uh, plan accordingly. Yes, we know you all live your lives around the scheduling of a night in. That's true, but now you have Wednesday nights off. So So take a break, everyone, and uh, pick pick it back up on Friday. We'll see you there. We'll see you there. (laughs) And um, please write in to us if there's anything you want us to talk about. We'd love to hear it. We love to do historical deep dives, so um, throw it our way. We're taking requests in this club. Mm -hmm. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) And we love you and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.